Please take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. Thank you so much for coming out this morning. I know it's one of those unique years where both of the major holidays fall on a Sunday. And so just so thankful that you've chosen to be here. I realize uh, we have some of our younger friends with us. I want to say hello to our children. We have babies in the service today, and we have young children with us, and we love our kids, and they're not a problem for us, and I just want to make sure uh, you all understand that we are patient here and loving, and um, so, you know, it's okay, and uh, we're here together, and uh, we won't be here long this morning, but uh, we do want to take some time to look at this psalm as we begin the new year, and, and quite frankly, um, I don't have like a super inspiring, like rah, rah, go get them, uh, it's 2023, and uh, everything's going to be great and perfect as you uh, look towards the future, and and so um, that's not really where I am, and it's not really my thoughts this morning, and um, really this what I would like us to focus on is just, um, I think, the heart of God and, and what He desires for His people. And we'll end uh, in the New Testament where Jesus himself prayed for this same idea for his church. And so as I look at 2023 and uh, what I would hope to see at Calvary, this is one of the uh, first and foremost things that it would be on my heart as we look forward to the future. And um, I think in what will please the Lord in the opportunity that we have before us. And so let's look at the psalm together. This is a psalm of ascent. Um, <clears throat> not sure if you're familiar with that, but there are 15 psalms that were written that really kind of helped the people of God as they would make their pilgrimages to Jerusalem. So about three times a year for the feast that would take place, uh, there would be people who would make that journey from wherever they were in the land of Israel to Jerusalem. Many times that was through the mountains. And so there were these songs, it was like a road trip music, so to speak, um, where they would sing as they would make their ascent up to Jerusalem. And Psalm 133 is one of those. It's actually very short. We have three verses this morning. And, uh, but yet it is one that I think um, is, is very clear in the message. And so if you would look at verse 1 there, it says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is. For brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like precious oil upon the head, coming down upon the beard. Even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. And so you may be able to quickly pick out the focus and the message of this psalm. It really describes that of uh, unity, and it's what I think as we see the picture of our God as three persons in one, it gives us a picture as to what we should be. So I want to just start a little bit with the context, because when you talk about unity, what's the opposite? Conflict, right? Lack of peace. Unity is oneness. You know, a, kind of a, a coming together for a purpose. And the opposite of that is when there is strife and contention and conflict. And so this psalm, as it says there, probably in your Bible, it's a song of a sense um, uh, of David. David knew conflict 
We have discussed that over the last uh, few months as we looked at some of the psalms that he's written. And yet, he is describing something that he is experiencing. Unity. And unity, and the big idea this morning, is, is an enjoyable experience. And I think we would all agree. If we can think back through times where we have been part of maybe a family, a work environment, a church environment... Rarely do you find a national environment where there's unity. But if you can remember times of unity and peace, you understand it is a pleasurable experience. The opposite, conflict, hardship, turmoil, that is not so fun. And so when we look at David here, the timing of the psalm is probably one of the few times in his life that he actually experienced peace and unity. And that was really from the time he took the throne to the time he started to have issues with his son. And so we have here a season in the nation of Israel where there was probably in general peace. Now, because there is sin and people aren't perfect... There are always those times of hardship and conflict. But in general, he is describing how good it is and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. So he is experiencing this. He knows this. And it came after a very long season of conflict. David, probably between the age of 10 and 15, was anointed to be the next king of Israel after King Saul. He didn't assume the throne till he was 30 years old. So in between 15 to 20 years later, he assumed the throne. And much of that time period was spent in conflict with Saul. Saul occupied the throne till he died. He was about to be captured by the Philistines, and he died there. He took his own life on the battlefield. And knowing what was ahead of him, his three sons died there that day as well. But even after Saul died, David did not immediately get to take the throne. So he spent, I think it was a good nine years of conflict with Saul, where Saul was chasing him around, trying to kill him, and, and those kinds of things. Then Saul dies, and it would seem like, okay, it's my turn, I've been anointed for this, I'm going to take the throne. That's not what happened. There was more conflict in the land. In fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 2, the men of Judah, uh, they wanted to install David as king, but the, the tribes of Israel did not. So they kind of came up with their plan in 2 Samuel chapter 2, where they were going to have this contest, where they were going to see who were the valiant warriors who could kind of withstand this contest, and they all ended up killing each other. So their bright idea to find the next king Uh, With the valiant warriors of the day, that didn't go over so well because they all annihilated each other. What happened after that was civil war broke out, Judah and Israel. So for a couple years, you have this constant war between the two houses. In fact, I think I have a, a verse slide here for you. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David grew steadily, uh, grew steadily stronger, but the house of Saul grew weaker continually. So there was this war that was taking place after Saul had died. David should have been installed as king. That was not what was happening. So over time, 
David did grow stronger, and then in chapter 5 of 2 Samuel, this is what we finally see where David is going to experience what God had originally had for him. And, and it says there, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. Previously, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and in. And the Lord said to you, You will be shepherd, uh, my people Israel, and you will be a ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with him, with them before the Lord at Hebron. Then they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. So this is the moment once David is established where both houses in, in the land, Israel and Judah, accepted David's leadership over the people. David was able to experience some peace in his life. And you may have gone through seasons of conflict with maybe it's a family member. Maybe you've been at odds with a, a parent or a sibling or some other family member for years. And that conflict finally comes to a resolution and that feeling of, ah, this is the way it should be. Or in a work environment where, where there's constant conflict, but then you experience the peace of resolution. Unfortunately, in the church, throughout the years, there has been much conflict. But when you are able to experience life in a local church where people do keep their focus on the Lord and they do strive to preserve the unity of the faith that is given by the Spirit, it actually is a glorious and a wonderful experience. The Christian church at large has been full of conflict for generations. And unfortunately, as I was thinking through this, much of my memory growing up in Christian circles and growing up listening to leaders and watching, uh, not political leaders, but Christian leaders, pastors, unfortunately, what I remember is in the Christian community, a lot of conflict. And a lot of division. And yet, this psalm and the prayer of Jesus that we'll look at here in just a moment seems to indicate that that should not be the case. And yet, we find, at least in my lifetime, conflict, division, hardship over things that, quite frankly, I don't think they should be. It shouldn't be issues. And so we have here a description of what it can be and what David has seen in the land of Israel. Verse 1 is really the idea of the song or psalm. It's really unity is a precious experience. Unity is a precious experience. And so if I can think of anything for Calvary this year, it would be for our church to experience this precious gift of God. The Spirit gives His people unity. It's, it's a gift. We don't, like, manufacture it. The Spirit gives it to us. But it's our responsibility to be diligent to preserve it. So when God's people humble themselves and literally uh, are, are gracious to one another and esteem others better than themselves, 
then true unity can be here. And unity towards others outside of the local church, towards other churches and other groups of people in the community, we can be kind and gracious. And so unity is a precious experience. Let's look at verse 1. It says, How good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Two things here that are described, and sometimes things that are good aren't always pleasant. But here we are told, with unity, it's good and it's pleasant. There is great pleasure when people get along. When they dwell together in peace and in unity. This idea of dwelling is everyday life. It's the interactions as they go about their daily routines. And what makes life enjoyable is when the relationships have unity. It's very hard when that unity is broken and the oneness is gone for people to get along and even make progress. So perhaps you would have in your life pockets of conflict pockets of area where where you would say you know what i would love to see god resolve some things in my life this year and in in this particular area where it's just been constant hardship and conflict i would love to experience this pleasurable thing called unity and so maybe as you start 2023 that's your prayer that that god would give you in whatever aspect He would give you peace and you could, as much as it depends on you, seek peace with whoever it may be in whatever context, but certainly in our church, that we would have unity. Unity is that state of being one, united, joined as a whole. And words that kind of fit along with it would be agreement, consensus, harmony, peace. Those are things that come to mind when I think about this term, unity. And so, as we have all experienced the opposite, I'm sure, conflict is not good and conflict is not pleasurable. <laughs> Yet, it is a huge part of your lives. And you, you may be weary at this point as a parent. You're, you're like, Tuesday can't come quick enough for the kids to go back to school because there's been so much conflict in the house because everyone's been under one roof. Totally understand From that perspective, unity is a pleasurable experience, but conflict is hard and difficult. And as I look at the Christian community, I just want to speak into that a little bit more, that the fighting and the conflict that has been, at least is what I have observed in the last several decades of my life since I became a Christian, conflict over things that when I, when I look at the scripture when Jesus said to his father in that prayer I pray that they would be one I'm pretty sure he did not have in mind all the things that many Christians have fought over through the years pretty sure that's not what he was thinking now we're one in him and he is our union and and it is truth that we center around so, so there is a base, and, and the sanctification process is, is 
including truth. But I'm pretty sure as I talk through, and, and I assumed it would be kind of a family crowd this morning, and so I'm just going to continue to talk frankly through this series, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't thinking about different styles of music when he said, I pray that they would all be one. But unfortunately, there are people in this town who have worshipped at this place from time to time, who have left this place, and the relationships in the town, they won't speak because of music or other cultural Christian items, like what someone wears or what someone does. Unfortunately, the conflicts have been around those kinds of things. So bad that the relationship in the Christian community can't even communicate. Let alone some of the other things that the Christian community has done so poorly in communicating the heart of Jesus towards. To where people who are outside of the church look at Christians and think, you know what, there are a bunch of people that fight all the time. And they're not kind people. And that's the reality. That's how much of the the world that doesn't know Jesus, that's how they view the Christian community. How is that possible? The place that should be the most loving and caring is looked at as a place of conflict. I was in New York City over the weekend, for the holiday, over Christmas, and... I would expect a place like New York City to be full of conflict because it's one of the melting pots of the world. It's like you have every nationality, every perspective, every opinion. It's all right in one little place. And I get the fact that that's a place that it would be hard to bring unity for, too. But the Christian church? It should be the exact opposite. There should be night and day difference. Between the world and the church that has experienced the love of God. But unfortunately, what we find is conflict and division over things shouldn't be. And it's sad. In fact, the scripture talks about foolishness and wisdom. Proverbs 6, verse 19, the one who spreads strife among brothers. You know where that falls? The list of seven things that God absolutely hates. One who spreads strife. You know, Christians are pretty quick to focus on the verses in Scripture that deal with people and the to-do list that we kind of have in our mind of, what's right and what's wrong. And we're quick to judge and stand for those. But when we read literally that God hates someone who spreads strife, eh, they have a difficult personality. Uh, That's kind of how they are. No, it's not acceptable. God hates it. Scripture also talks about things like this. Keep away from strife. 
doing that, it's an honor for a man. But a fool will quarrel. Stay away from it. Individually. Do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. So there's very clear teaching in the scripture about not being a person given to conflict and strife. It is better to live in the corner of a roof than a house shared with a contentious woman. It is better to live in the desert in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. So man, woman, it doesn't there's no differentiating. Quarrelness, people who, who like to quarrel and find strife, it's foolishness. Wisdom is found in peace in those who seek for it. James 3, in fact, is very clear. Wisdom that's from above. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make for peace. Unity is good and it is Pleasant Unity is a pleasurable experience. And that's what I hope and pray for our church as we look forward in the future. That we will be a place of unity. Proverbs 17 verse 1. Better is a dry morsel and quietness than a house full of feasting with everything in it. But there be strife. Unity is a pleasurable experience. Look at verse 2, if you would. We'll keep going quickly here. Um, because David here gives two illustrations. It's like precious oil upon the head, coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robe. So there's an illustration of the body here, and it's, it's of... The priestly experience, probably Aaron from Exodus, and the oil that is, is mentioned is probably that anointing oil where, where it, was, it was poured over him and it went really from head to toe. There's some you know, division as to whether this is the, it went to the collar, the edge of his collar or all the way to the edge of his garment. I think it's probably a full body experience here where he was saturated with the oil. And so basically the idea here is illustrating that it brings refreshment and sanctification. That's what unity does. Like, like the oil that flows and was, was preparing the priest for what was ahead, that's what unity is like. Unity is a good thing. It is a pleasurable experience. And the second illustration there is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. Now, there is quite a bit of conflict over this because if you know anything about the geography of Israel, if you've been there, Mount Hermon and the Zion Mountains, they're very much part. Uh, Mount Hermon is in the north side over 100 miles away. And so people are like, this doesn't even make sense logically how it would happen. So I think that the better way to understand this, and there's a variety of opinions on it, you can study those out yourself, but I think the better way to understand it is like the dew of Mount Hermon, who, where it's located, was a typical thing because of, because of the moisture in the atmosphere. When there is unity, it's like where the mountains of Zion, they're more of a barren land, but what, is, what the illustration is, as the dew that comes from Mount Mount Hermon and brings refreshment, so would be if it were to flow from the mountains of Zion in, in that barren land and it would bring refreshment as well. So using the body as an illustration and nature as an illustration, 
David is simply saying it is a pleasurable experience. Unity is good and it is pleasant. It brings refreshment. It brings sanctification. It is a very, very good thing. And I think Jesus wanted the same thing as he prayed. In John 17, right before he was headed to go to the cross and accomplish why he came, this was his prayer for his people. Now think about, of all the things that he could have prayed for, he was finishing up his ministry. And as he looked at his disciples and those that would follow and spread through as the gospel would go throughout the world, knowing that, this is what he prayed. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, And they also may be in us so that the world might believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me and that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Listen to Jesus' words before his death. He compared his relationship with the Father and there's perfect unity in the the Trinity. Three persons, perfectly one, operating in different essence, but but, uh, in different persons, but one essence. Perfect unity. And he says, as we are, as we operate, would they do the same thing? Would you give them the, the, the experience, perfect them in unity as we are? perfect in unity. And what will happen then is the world will actually see that you loved me and you loved them. Why is it that the world sees the opposite from the Christian community? I don't think that was the heart of Christ when he prayed this prayer especially over the things that the church has fought over. Now, I understand truth. That's what, we, that's what we're united around. But it's, it's in the person of Jesus Christ. He is our unity. In His prayer, for us, as we read his words, that we would be one. Now that's a group of individuals doing their part to preserve the unity of the faith. It it doesn't just happen. It's a gift by the Spirit, but it takes a group of people to be diligent, to preserve it. And as we do, we reflect our God, who is perfect in unity. Ephesians 4, 
1 through 6. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, listen to the heart of this passage that Paul begged the people of Ephesus to be like. I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, which has been called, which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another. These are things that Christians don't love, <laughs> naturally. No one does, because they're fleshly. But with the help of the Spirit, we can actually look like our Savior by living this way. Humble, gentle, patient, showing tolerance with one another because we all blow it, we make mistakes. We love one another. And then this is the rest of it. Right after those characteristics that represent the fruit of the Spirit, he says... Remember his original, I implore you to walk in this way. Daily life, all your interactions, dwelling together, I implore you, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as also you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, all of all who is over all and through all and in all. The message of unity is all through the scripture. Starting in Genesis 1, when the Trinity together created and set the example in their perfection as to what the Christian experience is supposed to be like. And David experienced it for a few years. At the end of his reign, it all went downhill. The conflict came back. Peace was gone. And in Israel's time, there was never unity like the time when David ruled, where all the tribes got along. For that short window of time. And when that happened, it was good and pleasant. It was a pleasurable experience. Pleasurable for God because it's a reflection of Him. He takes pleasure in our unity and pleasure, pleasurable for each other for, because people actually live and get along. And so as we have the opportunity this year, could we take Ephesians 4 and let that be our focus? As Paul said, I implore you to walk this way, gentle, tolerant, kind, loving, diligent to preserve the unity. As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And I realize... People get real scared when you start talking about a message of unity, especially in the Christian community. And I, it, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. It's black and white. But for some reason, these aren't the passages we gravitate towards. 
It's others. And I hope, because I'm pretty sure we all at least can agree on the fact, when there is unity, whether it be in a home, in a workplace, in a church, or even a nation, when it happens, it's good and pleasant. And we actually can be a part of the process because it takes every single person committed to that preservation process. So that means we, we're gentle, we're kind, we're loving and tolerant. We basically are like Jesus. <laughs> and you'll, I'll just go ahead and put it out there. Our focus this year, as we look towards 2023, we're going to go through the Gospel of John, Lord willing. And we're just going to, it's going to be conversations with Jesus. That's going to be our focus this year. Like, how did Jesus treat people? And we're going to saturate our mind on his heart and his life and how he lived. And hopefully as we do that, what we will find is fruit of unity. Within these walls and outside of these walls. That we actually can interact with the world in a way that they see, wow, those people are actually loving and kind. There's actually something different about their lives. But it takes every single person committed to it. So let's pursue these things in 2023. Let's pursue peace. Let's pursue kindness and gentleness. Unity in the church, it brings joy and it stimulates love. And it's here because it's a gift of the Spirit. So let's, let's be faithful. As Paul said, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And it looks in black and white just what he said. Gentle, kind, tolerating each other, pursuing a peaceful and unity, a unified experience. Behold, that first word, it's supposed to lock in the attention. Grammatically, it's there on purpose to get people listen. <laughs> Three simple verses, one message. Unity is a pleasurable experience to our God and to each other. We find it in, in our God and we can find it in the relationships that we have with each other. So let's let's do all we can. Let's pursue it. Let's let's do better. Let's change the norm. If we want to do anything, let's do that. As we look forward to 2023, would you bow and close with me this morning? You may be visiting with us and I'm so thankful that you're here today.
But for those who are, are part of the Calvary family, I'm asking you individually to make a commitment to follow Ephesians 4. To just, in this moment, say to the Lord, I will pursue upon the grace and strength of my Savior and the Spirit. I will pursue peace in my relationships this year. It's what I want. I want that pleasurable experience. And as a a member of the body of Christ, I want to do the same thing. Within that context, I want to do all that I can to pursue unity. Would you make that commitment? Would you respond to the words of David and, and the prayer of our Savior and the admonition of the Apostle Paul? Would you commit to that focus in 2023. God, I just simply echo the prayer of Jesus this morning. Jesus, you prayed that we would be one. So that's what I pray. Thank you for setting the example of perfect unity. God, as you operate within the Trinity perfectly. I pray that we would pursue peace and unity in our homes, in our workplaces, certainly in your house and with the world around us. Help us to present you, Jesus, in a way that is accurate. Help us to walk in gentleness and kindness and tolerance for one another and our failings and help us to work toward this beautiful gift that you have given us to protect it, the gift of unity. Thank you that we are one. Help us to do our part. In your holy and precious name I pray. Amen.